between us in a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on.
start looking at people as individuals. You saw them as the masses. They were the workers. And there was categories of workers, the lower classes, the middle classes to take care of the lower classes and serve the upper classes. All these different classes came into being. And I used to wonder why Britain got on so well with India, with the big Brahmins of India. So I realized that the caste system was identical to the class system of England. I'll be back after these following messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Hi, Alan Watt, back with Cutting Through the Matrix. Just going through some of the, the changes that happened from the old feudal system where for a thousand years Norman overlords had ran Europe on behalf of their kings and queens, their masters. How they divvied up countries and put these overlords in charge. There was a very good movie made Oh, it must have been back in the 1960s with Charlton Heston. And it was called uh, Warlord. Well worth seeing because it was pretty factual. They, they took a lot of data from history and they showed you how the Normans operated. They were some of the cruelest people ever to take over countries and they treated the peasantry uh, terribly, very abominably. And we find that uh, the feudal system lasted a long time it's interesting, too, that the Normans came in to England eventually, and within about 50 years, they had rounded up the people, formed armies, and they had them all gone off to do crusades in the Middle East. And no one ever questions that. At first, they have a, a war, take over the whole of Europe and all the manpower and resources of Europe. And once they'd done it, uh, hardly a few years had passed, and here they are, uh, taking all this wealth and manpower, going over to the Middle East. The conquered, where they did in fact set up a king of Israel for a time, whose descendants uh, still are alive today, in fact, and one of them who helped create the European Union. But getting back to the end of the feudal system, they came up with this idea of the mass man. They started to see, stopped seeing the peasants as just the, the local peasantry, where at least they knew their name, and uh, they looked upon them as the masses. The corn laws were repealed to allow foreign grain to be dumped on the British market. They get all the small farmers out of the way. They had no employment, no work, and they were forced into the big industrial cities that had just been thrown up, the red brick cities, as they were called. And the, the big, the big horses and carts that used to cart people off during plagues were used all throughout the industrial era in Britain collect the dead every morning because people were paid pitiful wages and they were all malnourished and they worked a minimum of 16 hours per day. That was merry old England at the height of its power. And this system is usually called sort of fascist type system. And we still have it today. Uh, fascism, as I say, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and acts like a duck, it's a duck. 
And that's what we have today is fascism, corporate fascism. And Professor Carl Quigley did it right when he said that the new, the new feudal system, the new type of feudal system is to be run by the CEOs uh, of the big international corporations. When we look at politicians today, sure enough, they're in and out of the positions of CEOs, then into politics, then back in as CEOs, do this musical chair act and routine and we just accept it quite calmly. We notice, too, that the big, big stores that they've thrown up all across the whole planet, in every country, these big factory-type stores were intended to put all the small store owners out of business, and they really have been successful. The small store owner cannot compete. He can't buy in bulk and get the reduced prices of certain items. So he goes under, and you're left with the big boys dictating to you what you can buy, you don't have the variety that you used to have. During the industrial era, as I say, the masses were called the masses for the first time, at least openly. And Karl Marx wrote about it. He was just a hack journalist that was thrown out of Germany and given employment by the Rothschilds and the, the British royalty to write the dialectic, which was to create a system where the workers, who would eventually get their own champion if left by themselves, we're given uh, champions to follow. That's how the dialectic works. They give us our leaders. They, they voice all our complaints for us. We sit back and we say, well, someone's doing it all for me. I'll just enjoy myself. That still happens today with all the top authorized anti-groups. Personally, I like the old Groucho Marx statement. It says, whatever it is, we're against it. That's what I go with. He also said I wouldn't join any group that had me as a member. I go for that as well. And when we look at these groups that are founded for us, as we think it's for us, just like the big unions were uh, founded for supposedly the workers, the unions eventually ended up in bed with the big employers and helped write all the rules on behalf of the employers. The unions are effectively pretty well dead today. Communism itself was only intended to last about 70 years. Lenin said that himself. Well, we, some of us have witnessed it. We saw the so-called wall in Berlin come down, and the Russians just threw up their hands and said, well, we can't carry on anymore. We're changing, and we're all supposed to swallow this, this guff, as I call it, without question, because that's all it is, is complete guff. Then we saw Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of England, uh, escorting Gorbachev around the world on speaking tours. And the media in Britain and the U.S. and Canada all went into action asking Mrs. Gorbachev about her lipstick, her makeup, and listening to the fascinating fact that in Russia you couldn't get a loaf of bread to eat if you were a peasant, but you could walk into a store and get a facelift for free, paid for by the government. All wonderful, interesting stuff from the ex-member of the, or the, the high member, the top guy in the KGB, remember, because that's what Mr. Gorbachev was, but suddenly he was a trendy guy, a new type of Politburo uh, character with a, a flashy suit, not these old dark rumpled stuffs we used to see them uh, wearing in Russia. And then they did polls in the U.S. and in Britain, but mainly in, in, in the U.S. They asked the public after a month of this propaganda, as Gorbachev, around on the arm of Margaret Thatcher if they would ever vote for a guy like Gorbachev, this new trendy type communist, and they found about 80% of the public says they wouldn't mind. 
Well, that tells you where the public's brain happens to be, and it truly is where the sun don't shine. That's the kind of job that the media can do on people. Six months after Gorbachev went back, it was reported in a little paragraph in major newspapers that all the media had agreed not to ask any pertinent or political questions to do with Russia to the president or his wife on his visits. So there's the compliant media that's standing up for you and is on guard for you. They were all in bed together. Well, they've always been in bed together, and they always will be in bed together because the media is owned by the big boys, lock, stock, and barrel. If you don't believe me, read Professor Carl Quigley's Tragedy and Hope and his other great book, which is called The Anglo-American Establishment, which fills in all the blank bits of history that you don't get in school. He tells you of how the elite with the Royal Institute for International Affairs all sat together in a round table in London before World War II and discussed ways of terrifying the public to motivate them into demanding war with Germany. And they came up with the idea of using their own members who owned all the newspapers in Britain to terrify them by saying they were all going to be gassed by thousands and thousands of stockpiled gas that the Germans were going to fly over Britain with and release. And they went as far as giving everyone in Britain a gas mask, which they had to, by law, carry at all times, just to make sure. That's a Pavlovian training, you see. First the lie, then the reinforcement backs it up using psychology. And they even got the king at the time to come out and make public speeches on how they had to dig trenches all around London, the idea being that all passers-by would see this going on and the idea of imminent war that could not be averted would, would, would have to be fought and the public should get on board, on track, and in line with fighting Germany. He admits this all in his book. And remember, he had access to the private records. He was the historian for the American branch of this organization, called the Council on Foreign Relations at the Pratt Building in New York. The building, which is occupied in London, England, ended up being the, the top, the, the, the headquarters for MI6 and the Secret Service, the OSS, during the whole of the war. And no one asked why the headquarters of this particular organization, which became the CIA eventually in the U.S. and the Secret Service in Britain, no one asked why they had it in that particular building belonging to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's because the Royal Institute for International Affairs at the top is a member of the Secret Service. That's what it is. You'll find almost every reporter, every journalist, mainstream is a member of this particular organization. You can't ask to join it. You will be approached to join it. How are you approached? Well, you learn the ropes very quickly, as in all jobs. Learn to not ask certain questions when you're told, when you're, when you're given the wink and the nod. And you, you keep on the safe topics. You talk about sports and clothing and sex and little scandals and that type of thing, but don't tell the public the truth. If you obey the rules, you get up Jacob's ladder, 
get promoted. And one day, if you're trustworthy and you've been tested and tried and true, then you may be asked to join. And then you write more lies for the public and keep them in the dark. That's the job of the media. We're living in a matrix, a matrix that was designed long before I was born or your parents were born or the grandparents were born because all of the psychologies, all of the intricacies of the control of mass manipulation of human minds was discussed in great detail from the 1700s onwards. Everybody knows that the days are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows. Hi, Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix. And just before I get off, the Royal Institute for International Affairs and Professor Carl Quigley's book, Anglo-American Establishment, where he fills in all the little blank spots in history. I mean, he gives you the reasons why things happened, not just the times and battles, etc. He tells you who plans them, how they planned them, how they got wars going, who benefited from them and their, their long-term goals and agendas. But he also explains in that book that all the, the talk about gassing the British public was a lie. They knew it from the beginning that excellent intelligence is simply made it up to motivate the whole population of Britain into demanding that somebody do something about the Germans. That's how they get things going. Now, how often have we seen this kind of stuff repeated, folks? Huh? We, we, we get um, the same thing going on today with 9-11. The, the dust hadn't even cleared from the building, and already uh, the shouts of Osama bin Laden were all over the place. Uh, it was him that did it. They just knew it. And look at all the preparations and all the changes that have happened since 9-11. The whole world's been changed under a complete full-scale war situation where everybody on the planet is to be ID'd and checked and have no privacy whatsoever. In other words, they're using this for a long-term agenda. A hundred years' war, and out of that hundred years' war, there's going to be a completely new type of society, a more efficient society uh, emerging, supposedly. This ties right in with their plans. So they needed this war. They planned this war, and they have it. The war is on the people of the planet right now. Now, I think there's someone in New York. Uh, it's hard to hear there. Hello? 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 Yes. Hey, uh, i just been listening, and um, I can't help but think that uh, cultures of the world are, not, you know, instead of being something to identify with, it's more like a culture in a Petri dish getting experimented on. Yeah. Well, that's what we are. In fact, the experimentation has gone on uh, pretty rapidly and intensively over the last couple of hundred years. And people don't realize that the school systems themselves, uh, many teachers in, in different schools in every country, 
were used to do little experiments on the children themselves to see how they would react in certain situations. And all this kind of data is reported back to um, the big intelligence services who use this data on bigger levels on bigger parts of the population. And so we are being experimented on. The only difference is, though, uh, the experimentation is pretty well over. They understand us completely, and they know how to motivate us. Uh, they brought in the big marketing companies, mainly the ones from New York. Yeah. They existed in the 1920s, and um, uh, they had already, to get marketing across, to advertise to people, you have to understand what motivates people. And Lord Bertrand Russell said that they would have to bring them on board use all of their collective data to manipulate the public. So you're quite right. Yeah, everything seems to be uh, trying to get standardized. Standardization. You see, fascism, uh, which is all to do with ultimate efficiency of the masses by a small elite uh, ruling over them, uh, has to standardize everything to make it simpler for them. Uh, when you standardize countries, into using all the same system, and that's what communism was for, too. Communism was the fastest way to get the people to fight for something, come together for something, believing it was for themselves, only to find out 70 years later that, 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 brought in, that communism brought in dozens and dozens of different cultures with different systems and made them all one and the same, including the educational system. It was the quickest way to standardize it, and now you have the standardization of the Middle East uh, they must bring them under control as well, get them on the debt system of the World Bank system. And, uh, and then, of course, we also already have UNESCO in Afghanistan and in Iraq training uh, the, the young children who will be the first real indoctrinated um, democratic leaders as when they grow up to take charge. So th this is a long-term agenda that's underway. So they could even... Uh Already have the new man ready, and we're already on a clock. That's thirty. Like they already know when we're all going to probably perish. Bring out the new man. Uh, the, the, yeah, the old man, and that's just what they mean by that. That they will perfect all that was left imperfect. A very old, old, ancient saying by an elite of ancient times, still used today. What they're talking about is really uh, the, the, the ordinary person, the laborer type, the, the servant or servile type. Uh, we're, we're, we still have that little bit of um, motivation to please ourselves. They don't like that. They don't like a little bit of individualization. And so they, you have to do away with that part of the brain. This is, was written about, too, by Arthur Kessler, who worked in think tanks for the UN to find ways of lobotomizing that part of the brain that makes you an individual. They call it the ghost in the machine. I'm sure they could do it. Oh, they can do it. They, yeah. they have been doing it through inoculations. Uh, people yeah. today uh, are really the mass man. They, they, they become the mass man. They don't have individuality. I'll be back after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The 
So these are the big makers and shakers of the world. Quickly talks about these characters in his book, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment. He said, those who work behind the powers and who are unelected have really unlimited powers. These are the real movers and shakers because they are responsible to no one. They don't have to answer to the general public. And that's what these big boys do with the organizations that they lead. We have to wake up to realize we're being run with a parallel government comprised and composed uh, of NGOs, very powerful non-governmental organizations that have skyscraper buildings for their headquarters and lots and lots of floors, full-time salaries and pensions. Now, I think we got Dan from, from Kentucky on the line. Are you there, Dan? are you tonight? Not so bad. Good. Um, I have two questions, and then I'm going to hang up so we can listen, please. Uh, the first one is, we saw the second wicker man with Nicholas Cage, yep. and they mentioned uh, uh, how it compared to the first one, which we can't get, but they changed a mat- uh, uh, into a matriarchy from a patriarchy, and it sounded like the director knew what was going on and was probably... Illuminati himself are trying to cover things up, but they mentioned all the trees and flowers in there, and you mentioned Ashcroft and other tree symbolisms, and I'm wondering if it would be possible to make a blueprint or a flow chart of the 22 trees in the Druid alphabet that uh, Robert Graves said was the basis for the Kabbalah, and also to list all the personality psychopathic types so that people could have a blueprint because they're uh, arrogant and legalistic and they give clues to their symbols and that way people could see a name and figure out and know what their mission was in the uh, plan. And then the second question is if you would please mention the psychology of killing author. Um, We found three books but they're not the ones that you mentioned, and maybe it's out of print. And I'm going to hang up now so we can listen, and thanks for all your wonderful work. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, you, you find that the guy's names that they use, very often these family names are related to the old mystery religion, as they called it, uh, which went around the tree of life. You find the same idea in the death of Osiris and Osiris in Egypt. Uh, that was cut up into 14 parts. 13 parts were found. That's why 13 is lucky for some, unlucky for others. High occultic number. But the, the 14th part was never found. They're talking about the, 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 the virility behind the phallus symbol, the spirit itself of the phallus. That's what they mean by that. They rewrote that into the story of King Arthur. Uh, when he lost his spirit and the land became wasteland. It's the same story repeated in the occultic fashion where there's an exoteric for the general public to be amused by and an esoteric meaning for the inner members. So you you, you find that their names often uh, go around uh, trees. We find Osiris himself in one legend. uh, uh, His wife found him inside a tree. He'd been placed inside a tree, the tree of life. The tree of life, of course, is, is comprised of scions. The word scion, in, in its uh, spoken uh, form, forget the spelling, it also means a cutting that's grafted onto another plant. And when you've risen high above 
commoners and you've proven your worth, you've intermarried for three generations with wives that have, that have been given to you, you and your sons, then you are allowed to go higher up the degrees. You become a scion and you are grafted onto the tree of life, meaning you can marry from then on in into higher royalty. That's where that comes from. So they use words like ash in their names very commonly, the ashlar too being the perfectly squared uh, stone. Uh, a round stone is a rolling stone, which is a natural stone, but when it's squared and perfected, it's now able to be used as a building block and place others on top. That's what it means. You build from that one on. You can't build on top of round stones unless you use a lot of cement. And they use words like rowan, like Rowan Oaks was the place in the U.S. that uh, was settled early on before there was a U.S. itself. It was still under British rule, and that was the place that disappeared. Nothing left except the sign that meant the Red Oaks, the Rowan. And we find, too, the mountain ash is very important because it's also called a Rowan, a Rowan ash, the red one. You find this symbology all down through their names, like Bill Gates, He's a gatekeeper. What is he? What was a gatekeeper? It's someone really who allows entrance and the exit of knowledge. That's what it's about. And what's his job? Well, he's in charge of the windows. Which window? It's a window of opportunity. A window can also be two-way. can let light through in both directions. Or it can be made to be a one-way, like a one-way mirror. These are where you get all the expressions that we commonly use. And we don't even know what we're saying half the time. They're highly occultic. And you can go into the histories of these people, and you'd be amazed. Even the royal family of Britain, their proper name is Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. They were Prussian, as, as all of the European royalty are, are from. They're from Prussia, really. That's where the fascism, fascism itself was born. It was a militaristic race they had, and they brought on World War I. These were the guys that loved to have sorting duels amongst officers and all had scars on their cheeks as a sign of manhood. And uh, so the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha family were fighting Germany in World War I because of the propaganda it wasn't too good to have the Prussians in charge of England as your royalty. So they picked an old name from King Henry VIII's day, uh, from the Tudor days, and called it Windsor, uh, just to fool the British people so that it sounded more English. But these people, yes, they are They're very proud of their names, uh, Gotha is very important too from the old Goth and uh, you have the Saxe and Coburg as well the three main areas in Prussia that they used to rule the three houses of Prussia and greater Germany but you, as I say you'll find that the, in all the, 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 the names of the main players uh, there's occultic meanings especially when the same dynasties take part in great movements to change society down through many generations Check into their names and you, you'll, you'll find ties to nature because in one sense they call it the god of nature, that which they worship, and they use symbols from nature. They did the same thing when, of the white stone cutters they called the high stonemasons that built the cathedrals in Europe. Uh, these were actually a priestly caste uh, of nature uh, lovers, you might call them. And that's why they, they used the symbols of nature, the high arches of the branches and the boughs 
to, to make the, the big domes inside cathedrals and so on. They were emulating nature and perfecting it at the same time with the use of sacred geometry, as they called it. They also had uh, an initiation ceremony for these high white-cutting stone masons, and uh, they were called the Comocenes, by the way. They came from Lake Como uh, in Italy, northern Italy. And they used to wear a white, a red thread tied around their genitals. That was a symbol where they could recognize each other. Uh, although I don't know how they managed to get around to exposing it, mind you, without getting a slap in the face. But they had some method of, of uh, showing this, this red thread uh, to their friends. And that was something they were, that they wear their entire lives. You'll find a similar thing with, with Ulster, where all the laws that Britain had passed through their delegations in Ulster, uh, every, every one of the laws that they passed was tied up in a scroll with a red ribbon. Red is very important, and that's why you'll find the British military, uh, their officers wear a red band around their hats. Very, very uh, important as well. The wicker man itself, the first wicker man, went into more the nature uh, worship type thing, the promiscuity of nature, uh, in a story form, uh, highly occultic. It was, it was better, really, I think, than the second one. The second one surely has been updated to show you a matriarchal system because they said at the top, and Hitler said this, and Hitler was only quoting one of the old Caesars who used it in ancient Rome. He said, all our propaganda must be aimed at the female. Because all psychologists know, by the way, that it's much easier to influence the female to change in society, to try something new than it is the male. And they also knew that the female, by her nature, wants security and, or the promise of security. So Hitler said, we shall aim all our propaganda at the female. The female will come to us. And she said, the child must follow the woman and therefore must follow the man. So you, you alter society by directing a lot of your propaganda, especially during wartime and threats of annihilation or food scarcity or starvation, you aim that at the woman and she'll come to you. But it also goes back to the Garden of Eden, because the Garden of Eden is an allegory of how to control both male and female. When you understand the psychology of Eve, who is every woman, remember, then, then you can manipulate it because what did she want? She wanted immortality her personal beauty, she wanted to live forever, and she wanted all knowledge, she wanted it, it all, which was impossible in real life. Therefore, when, you, when she's got that proneness to that, you can, you can exploit that particular function and create a dysfunctional system at the right time, and that has been done in today's society. Adam doesn't say much for Adam, because what does Adam do? He does what he's told by Eve, because of other reasons that Adam might tell you himself, but I'm sure every guy's been the same at some time or another. He does what, what, she, what he's told in order to keep Eve. He disobeys the rules and ends up suffering for it. Understand the male and the female, and you can manipulate both types because up until now, we really haven't changed much uh, in the near future. Well, actually, we're all changing now. We're all being bioengineered with the spraying and inoculations and the food that's been altered but the next uh, generations to come up in the near future will be vastly different. In fact, they're doing, going to do away with the hermaphrodite or, or the, the male-female altogether and create a new self-reproducing type. In fact, if they've said themselves, it's simply uh, too inefficient to 
to have men and women the way they are. There's too much fighting and squabbling. They've seen to that. In fact, they help cause it. There's nothing given to you through entertainment that makes you feel good about anything except that you want this person that you see on, te- on television or on that screen if you're a guy. And the woman will, will say the same for the hero. She'll be after him. Television is meant to make you tremendously dissatisfied with whoever you happen to be with at the time. Now, I think we also have Gavin from Rhode Island on the phone. Are you there, Gavin? Hello? Yes, hello, Alan. Hello. Yeah, always great shows. Um, I want to ask you about uh, what you think. Did you hear this case where the uh, woman became angry in the U.S. about missing a, a connecting flight and she was putting the whole holding cell where she was handcuffed and chained and she ended up dying? Did you hear about that case? I didn't hear about that, no. Oh, yeah. I just, well, what happened was this this woman uh, at an airport, obviously, and she missed a connecting flight, and she, she became angry about it. And she was like an older woman, you know. She was a mother of two or three or something like that. I don't think really any danger, but she came angry about uh, missing a connecting flight, and the uh, airport police put her in it. Put, put her in a holding cell, and they handcuffed and chained her to the, the to the bench. And then, I don't know, she tried to, I don't know what she tried to do to get the handcuffs from what from okay, the back yeah, of the hold, front. Hold, hold there, and, and I'll bring you back after uh, the break here. I'll bring you back after the break, back after the phone messages. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows. Hi, I'm back with Cutting Through the Matrix, and we're talking to Gavin about uh, an incident that happened at an airport where a woman was handcuffed and eventually was found dead, I think, in her cell. Is that what happened, Gavin? Yeah, so anyway, this woman, that she became angry after missing her connecting flight, so uh, they, the, uh, they... The airport uh, police put her in a holding cell where they handcuffed and, and chained her to the bench, which I find unreal. Uh, but anyway, uh, evidently from trying to move the handcuffs and chains from the back of her to the front of her, she strangled herself. She ended up dying. But my main question is, uh, do you, does this seem to you that it's this heightened sense of authoritarianism where you know, we're just all supposed to act like sheeple. Anyone who gets slightly out of line, something like this, yeah. you know, is is treated this way in this, you know, sort of all Orwellian, 1984, Brave New World type of system and world. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. It's a conditioning process because they'll make sure that the public get to know more about it. They'll have exposés on it and say, tut, tut, how terrible. But at the same time, it's really conditioning everyone to obey and, or this could happen to you. And I've no doubt uh, there'll be, whatever inquiry they pretend to have, 
will have uh, come up with no guilt on the guards' parts that they'll blame her for starting it in the first place and trying to get out of the, the cuffs, etc., and strangling herself in the process. In other words, they'll make whatever story will suit them, they'll make it up and, and give that to the public. The intent is to terrify the public, and that you'll find more and more incidences of these things happening to make us all obey like good little sheeple. Yeah, that's what it seemed seemed like to me. Yep. I just want to get your take on it. That you know, condition exactly like you said is conditioning us to just all act like cogs in the wheel, like the sheeple. Yep. Just do what you you know mm-hmm. supposed to do. All this type of thing, submit, obey, and if you get out of line in the least way, this is going to happen to you. You know, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be handcuffed and chained in a holding cell. I mean, which is, I mean, as I said, seems totally outrageous to me. I mean, I don't think this would have happened, you know, 30, you know, 20, 30 years ago. No, it would not have happened, no. But they've they've given the people a splurge of of enjoyment, easy credit, enjoy, enjoy, have fun, have fun. And and they've been moving very quickly and cautiously, too, uh, with their agenda during that phase while everybody was gorging themselves on on such, such easy credit. Um, so before 30 years or 30 years ago, they could never have done that to the public. There would have been riots to try to take their rights and freedoms away from them. Yeah, I, I think we're seeing a dramatic uh, change. I mean, I, I was just talking to someone uh, today. I mean, even 40, 50 years ago, You've probably heard about the two U.S. US Border Patrol agents who were jailed for basically doing their job. Yeah, I know about that. But that's that's finishing for for tonight. That's the music coming up. Okay. And I'll be calling again next time for Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.